All right, welcome back to the 2474 show. I am Daniel Sperry, one of your hosts. Joel Soria has joined me um, just fresh out of playing soccer. Uh, how are you doing, man? I'm all right, dude. I, I really think I screwed up my hand, so <laughs> I'm giving it some time to heal on its own or see how it plays out, but if it doesn't, which probably won't, um, I'm going to have to go and get checked out by a all doctor. Right. Big news this week for the San Jose Earthquakes. Of course, you broke it Sunday night that the San Jose Earthquakes have signed Matias Almeida. Um, first off, how's the Twitter fame feel, as always? <laughs> nah, man. I, look, um, I was fortunate, I guess, to be in that position. Uh, there's also, obviously, certain repercussions for breaking stuff like that. Um but it, it is what it is. I, I still have a lot to work on in terms of being the journalist that I want to be at the end of the day. Uh, just taking it one step at a time and, uh, yeah, man, just going to enjoy this this new era. Yeah, dude, Matias Almeida, probably, I, I can't think of it. Is there a bigger name coach? Off the top of my head, I can't think of a bigger name coaching hire for MLS outside of Tata Martino. I mean, there really isn't someone who maybe worldwide or at least with even even within the Americas has a maybe name Patrick that Vieira. Uh, Patrick Vieira, yes, but Patrick Vieira didn't Patrick Vieira didn't have the coaching resume, and I think that's where because that I mean Matias Almeida has the name and the resume. Martino has the name and the resume. Vieira was very experimental. You remember the beginning of his first year, everyone was like, "Whoa, holy shit!" Like this deep, this guy. Does not right. like right. he was doing some stuff with Man City of his own, right? He wasn't taking on something like Matias Almeida, which you know gets relegated with River Plate, and the next day he gets appointed as River Plate's manager. Yeah, uh, in in the worst, most dire situation River Plate has ever been in their existence. Yeah, in, so you're right. In an incredibly illustrious existence too i mean uh, river plate is uh, we're talking real barso like if you don't know south american soccer or Amer soccer in the americas um B boca juniors river plate are the barcelona and real madrid of yeah. south america yeah. i mean it, it is one of the m biggest rivalries in the world they like trophy wise blow everyone else in their country out of the water it is a very passionate rivalry um in there in buenos aires uh, and uh, you know to to step in uh, so to be relegated for the first time in their history. I mean that's it. It'd be, it'd be like it'd be the essential. It'd essentially be like like if Arsenal got relegated this year or something, and like they just appointed um, Aaron Ramsey as the next man. Not necessarily Aaron Ramsey, but like Laurent Koscielny or somebody like that, and said, "All right, you're the manager next year. Save us." And they do, and they put you back in, and then you win. Like th that's that step and everything that he went through with River Plate is uh, is huge, and it kind of it just speaks volumes. And then to go do it the next year with Bonfield kind of speaks volumes of this guy's resume. I remember when they got relegated. I, I remember keeping up with that whole, you know, sequence. Yeah. Yes, uh, the River fans pretty much self-destructed their La Monumental. Mm -hmm. They started lighting the stadium on fire. Uh, obviously, people crying and players crying and executives crying and riots on the streets uh, the entire night after – 
it, it was it was a really 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 uh, bad situation for Los Millonarios, and you know to get appointed and and to get him back. Yes, okay, River Plate at that time in La Nacional, uh, which is the second division. Uh, you know they they did have they did have uh, the the money bag right, so they were able to um, to reinforce themselves with some good signings. And out of all the teams in in Argentine second division at that time, they, they did have the best players. Uh, but still, it's it's still an accomplishment. You know, you've seen big teams fall that don't really ever come back up, or that mm-hmm. take some time. Look at Not- Nottingham Forest, Leeds United, for instance, teams in England who Newcastle, Aston Villa, yeah. uh, you know, who've gone down and and haven't picked themselves back up, even when they had, you know, the uh, financial. The lucrative financial uh, injection, they they weren't able to pick themselves back up. And Matias Almeida was able to do that with River. Uh, he was able to do that with Banfield. Banfield, for uh, you know, as far as I know, they're they're not really uh, a prestigious team. They've had certain players like Ahmed Rodriguez came out of Banfield. Um, but aside from that, I mean, that, that that's also a major accomplishment as well. He left uh, Banfield after two years. And um, then takes over Chivas, which was, you know, which was and still is one of the toughest jobs, uh, you know, on this side of the hemisphere. And at that time, too, you got to it's worth mentioning the context. Um, Eleven years without a uh, domestic title. Right. So 11 years without a Liga Mekis title at the time, nine years without a trophy in general. He comes in, um, you know, the the 12th coach in, I believe it was four years, three, yeah, four years. So the 12th coach in four years, just to uh, put it into perspective of how tough that job was. And out of those 11 coaches, a lot of them were former El Tri managers, Um that and, and you know Chivas legends who were taking on the job and and they were you know no no one in those three four years no one held the job longer than a year and in comes Almeida takes over and brings back Chivas uh, to to glory remarkable five five titles in 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 less than three years. With all the pressure, with the crisis, the internal crisis at Chivas, the financial crisis, um, it's just just remarkable the, the career, the actually the, the managerial and the professional career he's had as a player. Uh, yeah, like you said, I I, I don't think there was uh, another name that could have topped his. Yeah, I think is huge signing. Um, I mean, massive for the earthquakes. I mean, I. I I if you check, if you have read my um, at least little think piece on it over at Last Word on Soccer, um, I, I pushed. Uh, I'll give one last little statement and then we'll move on. As Joel's got an awesome interview with Tom Marshall um, uh, on coming up here in a little bit. But uh, I the thing that I think the number one thing for the earthquakes is now. Okay, they went out and they've showed some ambition and they've showed some guile in going out and getting a manager like this. I mean, this is a huge 
coup for MLS. This guy was in the conversation for L3. This guy was in the conversation for a lot of other places, San Lorenzo, which is a huge club in Argentina as well. I mean, there, there, there are some huge places that Almeida was getting and gaining attraction from, and he chose to come to the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, that's massive. And the Earthquakes need to not waste their investment in him, and they need to give him things that he can actually work with. Um, and there's a lot, and I think we'll talk about it a little bit later um, as we answer a lot of questions that we fielded on Twitter. Um, but, I mean, I think the Earthquakes now have to invest beyond Almeida because Almeida, the, Almeida isn't going to just be able to wave his hand and make every make Jacob Akinney Ridge, you know, a starter next year. Like he's not going to be able to do those types of things. He's not going to be able to just wave his hand and turn Andrew Tarbell into the class of MLS. Um, and neither will whatever goalkeeper coach he brings on. Uh, there's a lot that that's ahead of the, this challenges that are still ahead of this team because there's still a lot of limitations based on their roster and where they're at. Um, and Almeida is in for it. He knows that he's got a tough, you know, that he, he is trying to bring this team back from the virtual dead. And that is, um, that is big, but he also needs the help. And, you know, hopefully we see um, an off season this year that is much more coherent than what we saw last year. Um, and a little bit more risky terms financially um, in the financial decisions that they have actually put out. And just, you know, they spent money this offseason, but they didn't spend money on true, true quality um, that was going to make a difference. Um, so we'll discuss a little bit more on that um, as we field questions. But up next, we got Joel uh, interview with Tom Marshall. Uh, wonderful uh, Mexican, Mexico is Mexican national team insider for ESPN. Am I correct? Or something like that. Yeah, correct. Okay. So he covers IMX and, and uh, Mexican national team for ESPN FC. All right. Wonderful interview there. Stay tuned. Joel and I will be back after that to answer the questions that we have gotten on Twitter. Here we go now. Welcome back to the 2474 show. Joel Soria here with a very special guest. Uh, Tom Marshall from ESPN. Tom, thank you for joining us. No, thanks a lot, Joel, for the invitation and uh, congrats on your on your scoop with the Almeida to San Jose news. It was a big big story, no? Yeah, absolutely. What what do you make of all of this? Um, I mean, I think if you split it up between okay for San Jose earthquakes, I think it's absolutely. It's amazing. I mean, you know, they've got all this attention straight away. Um, I think they've got a very good manager at the end of the day. I think that's the most important thing. Um, someone with a lot of charisma who, who people are going to, you know, pay, pay attention to, to how he does and how his project works out, uh, the changes he makes, the players he brings in. So I think it brings an excitement to the, to the to a club that, you know, obviously I'm not, I'm not following the earthquake week in, week out, but seems to have been struggling. Um, from Almeida's point of view, um, it's it's interesting. I mean, I don't think anybody would have had Almeida moving to MLS. And you know, if if it had been MLS, then you would have assumed that kind of one of the LA clubs or you know an Atlanta even you know one one of the one of the clubs you know fighting for more fighting for titles and, and already with a with a bigger profile. So from Almeida's point of view, I think that's the that, that's the fascinating thing. What what's gone on in Almeida's head 
to to make him take that job. So so yeah, no, it's but it's exciting and it, and it brings a lot of headlines down here in Mexico as well. I mean, everybody's talking about everybody's talking about MLS and the earthquakes and why Almeida wasn't considered for the national team. Yeah, you know when when you talk about what maybe spurned him on to this uh, this this opportunity, I guess you know. What I wrote about, and I mean, it was a pretty obvious thing, is though the the, the coincidence that you have here a, a struggling team, right? A team that has been internally in turmoil for the past couple of years, and here you have a coach who his three years his three previous jobs were to get out um, sizable clubs, historic clubs, out of despair. Uh, coincidence? Uh, do you, I, I I I'm sure that that's what motivated Matias Almeida as well. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think his main number one motivation, um, you know, from from following for for a few years in in Chivas and you know going to most of the games and, and listening to his press conference and you know getting to know getting to know how he works kind of thing is I think the the thing he likes about the the project at, the, with the earthquakes is that he feels that with the earthquakes in MLS he's going to be given more time to develop something that he wants to produce, to bring through younger players, to mould a team and to create something special. And I think he thought he had that in Chivas, to be honest. But obviously, Chivas, things can turn so quickly and that's exactly what happened. I mean, the club all of a sudden seemed to run out of money, um, they started selling players and then he kind of said... And then there was obviously personal personal issues and, and kind of conflict of personalities with... With people, key people inside the club, but yeah, I, I think Almeida's there because he, he he basically loves football. I mean, he's not one of those guys who's just doing this as a job. He absolutely loves it. He lives and breathes it. He says that himself. Um, and I think with the earthquakes, he's going to be able to implement ideas that you know, if you go to Europe, for example, um, and you never coached there before, you you might not be given that that time. You know, whereas I think in in San Jose, given how how badly they're doing as well. You know, I think I think everybody knows this has got a this is a process. It's not going to things aren't going to change. Like you know, Almeida said about the magic wand in the in the press conference. So yeah, I, th- I think that's that's I think that's what it's about for Almeida. Uh, and obviously, you know, qu- quality of life for the family. He's got two daughters. Um, you know, I think they they the daughters have taken English classes before. Um, I'm not sure what level they're at, but um, and you know, Almeida can learn English and. You know, I think the quality of life as well is a is a big factor. What what a what a, a coup for the San Jose Earthquakes! Obviously, you were talking about him potentially leaving to Europe. I remember when he was linked to the Leicester job, um, yeah, and then he was linked, obviously, to to various various clubs in Mexico, including Leon. And as of yesterday, he revealed that he was destined to to potentially go to San Lorenzo. Now this is obviously big on the earthquakes front office side, um, and you said he might have struggled in, in Europe. His tactics might have struggled there. Maybe the the change from coaching in, in Latin America is it's it's a big there's a big difference there. How how do you think his tactics? How do you think his methodology is going to do in MLS? Yeah, I mean it's a challenge. I think he admitted it, and it's probably his biggest challenge is. You know, even 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 aside from the tactics, um, I think his biggest challenge for me is, I think one of his biggest ta- one of his major talents as a coach is that treatment of the players, the way he relates to players, the way he talks to players, and the way he motivates players. 
you know, um, and we saw we saw that at Chivas where, you know, sometimes they wouldn't be very good in the regular season. But all of a sudden, the big games come, and I remember that game up in Toronto, um, and you know the, the final against Tigres, and and these players would just do absolutely anything for the coach. I mean, and and, and I think the language thing is going to be difficult for him up, up there. I mean, you know, it's a different it's a different ball game convincing a, a group of all Mexican players, or you know in River, which pretty much all Argentine players, and then trying, trying to convince a, a group of San Jose Earthquake players who, you know, are from all over the world. Um, you know, the American players will have a different mentality. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's his major challenge. But tactically, um, I think he'll I think he'll do, do well as long as he's got the players. I mean, this is a guy who, I think, from what I've read in kind of the US press, I don't know, I think people have got the wrong perception of Almeida's Chivas team. Because they've only seen the Concacaf Champions League, uh, and in the Concacaf Champions League, he did show a pra- pragmatic side. But I also think you can you should you can kind of praise him for that, because you know he's not like Marcelo Bielsa, who who just wouldn't he he wouldn't go up to you know you wouldn't go to New York Red Bulls and kind of right. grind try and grind out a result. He'd still try and attack. Whereas Almeida does have that pragmatic streak. But I, I mean Almeida, he says himself, he plays with four forwards. You know, he's, this is a his Chivas team in Liga MX averaged fifty eight percent possession. So it's a possession based team. Like he said in his press conference, they run a lot, uh, they fight hard, um, and and the, the the DNA is to attack. I mean, this isn't a team that that generally sits back. It's only on rare occasions that Chivas under Almeida ever set back. Um, and even when they were losing and not playing well and, and near the bottom of the league, they were still kind of if you looked at um, you know expected goals and and shots and, and and stuff like that. He, they were they were they were near the top of the table. So um, you know that that's very very much his style. Tom, you talk about the you talk about the players. You talk about him being a player coach. Um, what do you, you know? The the talk in San Jose is is Matias Almeida going to have autonomy over transfer transfers? Is Jesse Fiorinelli going to take a step down on the on the grip that he had involving player decisions, formations, tactics, etc.? Uh, do you think do you think Matias Almeida made it clear that he wanted some sort of autonomy with transfers? I, th- I can't believe he would have taken the job not having at least a, a good amount of say. I mean, I think. Almeida is also pragmatic enough to realise, you know, he's been at River Plate, he's been at Chivas, he's, you know, the Chivas directors, I mean, the, the, I mean, notoriously difficult to work with, and he managed to he managed to work with them for what a little over three years, um, sorry, no, two and a half years. So, I mean, he, he he knows how to work through those situations, but yeah, I mean, to take to take the job in, at the earthquakes and from the earthquakes point of view as well, I mean. If you bring in Mateo Almeida, I mean, what's the point? In, yeah. You know, in 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 signing another Wanderlowski or you know another big number nine or another player who's going to you know not technically good. I mean, you assume that with Almeida there, they're going to bring in some Latin American players, some players that are very technical, that are, you know that good with the ball at the feet. Um, and and yeah, I mean, it would make no sense if Almeida hasn't got at least a guarantee that those are you know he's going to have say in, in who's going to be brought in. Now let's let's turn let's turn the the page a bit. Uh, the Mexican national team and Matias Almeida. 
a lot of obviously yeah. speculation linking Matias Almeida to the job. Uh, according to Matias Almeida, he was never interviewed. What What do you make of all of this? Um, I mean, first of all, from you know, kind of from an outside perspective, it, it does it looks very strange because Almeida, um, you know, the Mexican national team has interviewed twenty four head coaches. I mean, that, they're on record saying that. So if you draw up a list of 24 names, you know, Al- Almeida's name has to be on that list because he's not obviously without his defects, but this is a guy who's, you know, he's won the league match with Chivas. You know, he's won the CONCACAF Champions League with, with Chivas. He's he's proved himself um, within Mexico. And he's kind of, I don't know, I don't think a lot of people in the States realise, but he he kind of been one of the major personalities in the Mexican game over the last couple of years now. You know, when he comes on TV, people take notice. When he goes to press conference, people take notice. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I think um, for him not to be considered for the national team was, I don't know, people are kind of shocked by it. But, I mean, it's not, it's not completely, you know, it's not, it's not difficult to see why he hasn't as well. I mean, there is another side to it. Um, and I think... The, the rumours and, and what people have heard and Almeida actually said it himself um, on ESPN uh, I think Monday night he said that you know maybe he gave a couple of interviews and the Federation didn't like that um, I mean and that's the, that's the strong rumour why they didn't go for him but it was more than that and I think Almeida you know when he came to Chivas he actually had a personal press secretary mm. um, an Argentine lady and she worked with him and she worked with the local media and she seemed to be really good, and he got a lot of good press early on. People kind of got to know him because when he came to Chivas, not many people knew about his managerial history. Um, but they kind of she 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 left one side, and then he was kind of it was just the Chivas press team and Almeida. And Almeida, I don't think I think he did way too many interviews. He was doing he was doing and saying too many things, and and basically right after the World Cup, he was him or his agent, I don't know who was you know they'd come out and say. You know, Costa Rica uh, have offered me this. You know, I've got something from Leeds. You know, before Bielsa, Leeds were interested. And then, you know, this national team, the other national team, are oh, maybe there, maybe here. And I think the Mexican national team basically thought that that was Almeida trying to entice them to, to, to call him. Um, and I think that that didn't go down very well. Um, and I think you mix that with, you know, the way he fell out with um, people within Chivas. Jose Luis Higuera, uh, especially, um, and I think that you know, the, and the way he kind of sided in the end with the players um, instead of instead of the club who pay his wages, I think certain people within the federation maybe and within the Mexican game thought, you know, is this if things go bad, is this guy gonna you know all of a sudden side with the players and he's you know, and I think that you know, th- I think those are the reasons, the press side and the um, you know and, and the the relationship with Chivas, but yeah, I mean, I mean. For you, Joel, I mean, you know, as a, I'm, I'm sure you're an Earthquakes fan as well as, as writing about the team, but, and, and I don't know, but just fans up there, I mean, I'm sure it wouldn't have been nice to hear Almeida the same day he gets presented at the Earthquakes come on, you know, ESPN firstly and say, you know, he's contracts for four years, but he's got release clauses in case a national team comes out. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. and then he goes on Fox just after that and he starts arguing with, you know, Achievist legend Fernando Quirarte. Um, about his time in charge and it's like what's the point in that you've just been announced at your new club 
talk about new club. For, you know, if you want to talk about Mexico and all that, li- leave it a little bit. But today's the day you've been announced at your new club. I don't know. <laughs> is uh, no one's perfect, but it that seems to be like the glaring defect in Matias Almeida, right? The fact that he can't control what he says at times. Do you think that that's uh, obviously that might be one of his defects? Do you think he has another one? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, tactically, he's not absolutely, he's not perfect. Um, you know, there was times when things weren't going really well at Chivas and you thought, just thought you know what? Why, why is he not why doesn't he adapt to something different why doesn't he play you know with with three centre backs in, instead of the instead of instead of going with the same you know with the same back for you know with a different midfield um, kind of different midfield strategy choices so yeah so I'd say you know the, it's not the, it's not the only one um, but but yeah, I mean, I think I think he's he's got to manage that. I I, just, I worry about the only the other thing that I do worry about with Almeida at the earthquakes is I don't know without like without like lacking respect for for earthquakes is that you know he's come he's come he basically came up through River Plate's youth system. You know, he's a very emotional guy. He's very attached to the club. You know, obviously played for them, goes to Europe, plays for Lazio, um, becomes like a real hero of the fans. In Italy as well, with with the Lazio fans, you know, and then obviously back to River Plate, manages River Plate, you know, El Monumental, like all the fans there, all the, you know, he's a legend at that club as well. Then he goes to Chivas and he kind of just makes this connection with the fans, and and obviously Chivas fans, it's a special club whether people like him or hate him. Chivas is a special club, play with all Mexicans, and he really tapped into that kind of sentiment, that feeling of he, he got it, you know, he got it, and Chivas fans understood that this was a, a manager who came in and got it but I mean at the earthquakes I don't know what I don't know the the, the passion there and uh, of the fan base of of you know in Chivas at every press conference you get you know there's at least 20 25 30 journalists there you know all the major TV networks in Mexico are there you know at River Plate it's exactly the same or if, if not more and I just wonder you know how he say it's the second year and you know there's, there's only four journalists there is is it is that going to kind of keep him? Is that going to kind of stoke his passion? Is he going to be able to live with kind of just having a much lower pr- profile than he would have for one of these mega clubs that he's worked for before? I don't know. What, what do you think? That, that's that's a fair speculation. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the 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 fan base in San Jose is is a bit broken. Obviously, uh, the stands have been pretty empty uh, the entire season. And the supporters group uh, in San Jose have always had clashes with the front office. A lot of supporters groups no longer exist. Obviously, the ultras are, are, the, are the old guard, are, are the mainstays in San Jose in terms of fan bases. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you make, you make a lot of sense. There aren't many uh, full-time journalists that cover the San Jose earthquakes. There aren't any TV networks that really show up. So it could it could be uh, it it could be a factor in the long run. Uh, I, you know, I I recall going to the press conference. There was a couple of fans waiting outside the stadium. Uh, yeah. From from what I saw, neither of them were San Jose Earthquake fans. They were Chivas fans, right? So yeah. you can you can tell. Then there's also going to be there's going to be a new atmosphere out of Via Stadium, and and it, it's I think it's going to get a little complex at first because here you have a lot of of the loyal fan base right who have been following this team in, in their ups and in their downs and then here you're going to have an integration 
of a lot of Latino based fans and who knows how that's going to mesh. Right. And yeah. who knows what the atmosphere is going to be like. Um, yeah. I think that's all going to play a part. Uh, absolutely. Matias Almeida uh, is not going to have it easy given all the MLS intricacies uh, regarding, you know, the, the squad formation and, and the transfers and the, and the allocation money and the trades uh, and also, I guess, on a personal side, is he going to be content in San Jose? That's something to question, absolutely. Um, yeah. My other question, Tom, for you was, uh, Matias Almeida um, has that release clause that we spoke about previously. Uh, what national teams? He mentioned that there was two national teams on there. Do you think... What my heart tells me is one of them is Mexico and the other one is Argentina. But it wouldn't make sense if he's not really qualified for the Argentina job and if Mexico is not going to take him in consideration. A lot of speculation in Mexico is is that it might potentially be the U.S. men's national team job. Do you, do you think it's the U.S. men's national team job that is one of them? Uh, it's difficult to know. I, I'd say right now it would probably, if there were, if there are only two, um, then it would. Then I think it'd be Mexico and Argentina. Even though, even though it, right now maybe doesn't make sense. I mean, in Mexico and Argentina, things can change so quickly. I mean, you know, yeah. the the president leaves, or you know, there's a new sporting director of either federation. I mean, Argent, Argentina right now is a mess, and it just seems everybody in the Argentine game is criticizing the federation. So you assume something's got to change at some point. And and with Mexico. Yeah, who knows? I mean, if he does a good job with with the earthquakes, two years down the line, the Mexico manager struggle. I mean, we've seen it before. Yeah, we've seen it so many times before that the sporting director leaves, this guy leaves, the manager gets fired, and then all of a sudden Almeida's there. You know, two years out from the World Cup or a year out from the World Cup, um, and he comes back, swoops back in, and so yeah, I mean, it would it, it would surprise me if it's if it was the states just because. Um, I don't know. It sounds like it, I don't think he'd be in in the reckoning this time around, um, and I doubt that the states. I don't know. I, I doubt. Obviously, he's, he's a long way off that job. I would have thought because he's, he doesn't speak English yet, and apparently the guy has to speak English. And, right. So yeah, I'd, I'd say Argentina and Mexico if I was to pick two. I just I just read your article on uh, the integration of or or I guess the uh, the fusion of Liga MX and MLS. Um, post 2026 what do you make of all of that i mean uh, yeah i, I thought it, i've actually thought it for a while um i mean it makes sense on the kind of if you kind of take a snapshot of the world game and the leagues and whether whether where the game seems to be going um you know because basically league remix have got super clubs you know they've got some really massive clubs with massive fan bases, both in Mexico and the United States. And it's like you can see that those kind of teams, you could slot them right into MLS, and it would it would boost MLS big a lot, you know. And then you yeah. look at the side of the M- of MLS, and the organization is just light years ahead. The kind of the vision is just just a, a lot better molded, um, and. You know, they, I don't know. It seems like they've got a plan. Whereas in Mexico, sometimes it seems like it's just a day-to-day thing, right? How what we're going to do today? How we're going to get? You know, whereas whereas with MLS, it's very much like, okay, we want to get to point B. We're at point A. This is what we need to do. Let's go and do it. Um, so yeah, so so 
I mean, if if you if you really want to challenge the European leagues, then you know it's it's. I mean, for the, especially for the Mexican league, I don't think that's gonna it's gonna be extremely difficult. Um, whereas, yeah, but the only the only thing is, if from an MLS point of view, if it keeps developing like it is developing and. And bringing these these players, especially the younger South American players, and bringing managers like Almeida and Tata Martino and um, and so on, then then you know wh- why would you need Mexico if you know what I mean? Right. That's, that's, right. <laughs> that's my thing. But I mean, I like it. I like it on paper. I just I just think to do it would is going to take absolute. I mean, for a start, the the leagues are completely different in terms of the structure. Obviously, you know, it's a MLS is single entity, Liga MX. Each club is the owner of the own club, and then they go into the league. Um, so, so yeah, so they, they basically dictate the rules to the league. I mean, that's that's the big difference. So the league MX president can say this is a possibility, but he he then has to go back to all the owners, and all the owners have to agree to that. And then, so so yeah, it's it's a, it's interesting, and I, I do like the idea of doing more things together. Um, but it's not it's not easy to do it's not easy to do and and a lot of the time the mexican clubs are not even from a press point of view with what i do they're not they're not easy to work with um, right. and it, it's a lot easier it seems to be a lot easier to work with mls clubs so um, so yeah no but it's, it's interesting tom thank you so much uh for taking some time and and joining the 2474 show it was a pleasure uh it is much easier to work out here in the United States. I'm sure you can come in at any time, and San Jose will gladly open their doors for you. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I'd love to have a chat to Almeida. I mean, he's a fascinating guy. I mean, there's actually a book that, um, if people speak Spanish, they should read about his life. I think it's called Alma y Vida or yep. something like that. I think it's by Borinsky, no? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I put it up on my Twitter. I'm going to. Yeah, all right. I'm grabbing a copy uh, ASAP. Oh yeah, no, I mean it's fascinating. I mean, this is a guy who, after his playing career, basically had a meltdown. Was an alcoholic. He yep. started a milk farm. I mean, <laughs> you know, he is a fascinating guy. Right, so, right. Uh, so yeah, but but yeah, thanks a lot, Joel, for the invite. And um, and yeah, anytime you need anything, just just give us a shout. Thank you so much, Tom Marshall, everyone from ESPN FC. Until next time, thank you so much again. Cheers, Joel. Nice one, man. Thanks a lot. Speak soon. All right, Tom. All right, welcome back. It is question time. Wonderful interview there with Joel and Tom. Thanks a whole lot to Tom Marshall for um, doing that and talking with us, or well, with Joel. Um, I it's time for twitter questions i mean we've got a lot here i think there's a there's a lot of questions that we've got to get through uh we don't want to make this too long and we every time we say that it ends up being too long but we'll do our best to answer all of them and do them pretty clearly and succinctly so the first one um rumors of san jose's interest in miguel abara uh what do we think about that one well, I haven't heard anything on my end uh, regarding that trade. Um, I, I, I was honestly a bit surprised to see that, um, to see the timing of that report uh, per Jeff Ruder, I believe. Um, given that, you know, Matias Almeida obviously was just appointed uh, coach and, 
you know, everything that that brings, right, to, to the whole um, transfer slash trade situation. It, it could be that they've been monitoring um, for some time. Matias Almeida did say that he's, you know, pretty much studied uh, the ins and outs uh, of this year's uh, earthquake. So it could be that they're already, you know, planning ahead. Um, Jesse Fiorinelli is a guy who who obviously I, I respect and I also respect his, his worth ethic. He's he's someone and the people around him he's empowered him to to think one step ahead and and to be on on top of uh the things that they need to be on top of uh in terms of i guess the hypothetical situation of miguel ibarra coming to san jose i think it would make i think it makes a lot of sense um obviously he has a latino background he's a player that i'm sure is familiar with uh with the bay area with california um that's just speculation, I guess. But uh, he's also a player that knows the league. Um, and this year, as we were talking before we started recording, he's had a pretty good season. Seven goals, eight assists in 2,400 minutes, I believe. He's been able to find his ground again uh, under Adrian Heath and with Minnesota United, which isn't easy. It's not an easy task to have such a season. Uh, with with that team, with those uh, surrounding pieces, you know. But who are the Quakes? What what are the Quakes going to give up for Miguel Ibarra? Uh, we we were looking up at his uh, his salary. I think it, you said it was three hundred thousand base salary. So so um, it's not quite at the Hika level. It's, it's most certainly. I guess it's not. It's not at the Magnus Eriksson level either. Uh, or the earthquakes give a couple draft picks, some allocation money, or maybe do a player swap. Um, I think I think a player swap would work. Maybe a, maybe you, you dish out uh, Magnus Eriksson, who might not be happy anymore. You know, I, I, I've seen Magnus and and uh, the body language that he exudes isn't isn't the best, isn't the most encouraging, uh, not only to the reporter but to his teammates as well. And that could be just a part of the frustrations, right, that are going on within the locker room. But uh, it could also be the fact that, you know, Mikel Stare, his his longtime friend, his former manager is now gone and he might want out. Um, you swap Magnus Eriksson, you know, for Ibarra, and I'm sure the Quakes will also demand uh, some allocation money on top of that. That, to me, makes a lot of sense. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you think of it? I mean... There's there's options that are going to open up with the Earthquakes roster. It's interesting. I mean, he is a player that is. Uh, I I think he's been done a disservice um, just by having to deal with Adrian Heath. Um, he didn't get a whole lot of time last year. He wasn't really given a chance. Um, that Minnesota team last year was pretty bad. They're still pretty bad this year. But he was finally allowed to give it. And was finally given a chance in the attack, and he did pretty well. Four of his goals and three of his assists um, came in 11 games as starting as an attacking midfielder um, uh, on either the left or the right. Um, he did have a, a decent few games at right back, but he's literally been played all over the place as a wing back, as all kinds of stuff. And uh, I, I wouldn't say his defensive prowess is there um, to play as a wing back, as a fullback um, for, uh, for the long haul. So 
Um, he does have good defensive ability, but we're not talking like a, a 100% solid defensive winger that you can just throw back there and be like, okay, you're right back now. Like that doesn't, that, Miguel Abar is not that player. It's never been his two-way ability. It has been his ability in the attack. When he was given a chance to do that, he was good. Um, hopefully Almeida sees some value in that. If this is legit and this is rumor, I don't doubt Jeff Reuter's reports. Um, however, just, you know, the timing like nobody can do anything about this um right now and they can't until like december something um to where they can actually attempt to make a trade or move stuff around so i i don't see anything happening with this right away we're not going to hear about anything like this for a couple of months um but if there is interest in Ibarra, I'm okay with it. I don't really care how they get him as long as it's not unreasonable. Um, you did mention that, you know, Jameer Hika does his contract. His guaranteed contract is up after this season. He does have uh, an option. I don't know, you know, we'll see how the club decides to exercise that. He could be one based on his salary, which is around 500000 um, As Joel said uh, off air, you know, Hika's salary there. Um, they may weigh their options there and feel like it'd be better served to um, bring in an Ibarra. So if they, you know, chose to not pick up the option um, on Hika, Hika goes into the league's reentry process um, where he can there be picked by other teams um, in the reentry draft uh, and would no longer be part of the San Jose Earthquakes um you know, roster guidelines and salary budget and all that stuff. Uh, and then they could go make a trade for Miguel Ibarra, which honestly probably shouldn't take more than a little bit of TAM. Uh, he's only making 300000 He's not going to be worth um, a Darlington Nagby or a Dom Dwyer type haul. Um, I'm thinking significantly less that. Maybe um, even a lot, even less than what, you know, Minnesota gave up for Kevin Molino. Um, it could just basically give his salary back to, um, you know, the back to the Minnesota team in Gam or Tam. Uh, that's what I would do. I would probably go for something around here's, you know, one hundred fifty thousand Tam, one hundred fifty thousand Gam. Give us Miguel Ibarra and we're good. Um, that doesn't hurt the Earthquakes' pocket at all, um, considering how much Tam is now available um, and how much Gam that they get every single year. So I don't worry a whole lot about spending that much for somebody like Miguel Ibarra. That's how I try and get him. I would like to see him around. He is a California guy. Um, I think Almeida could use someone like him, someone who has he he has seen and has seen had success um, at Leon in Liga MX and has been a good player. Um, I, I definitely just think that uh, you know Heath has done him quite a disservice. Um, he is 28. Sad that his talent has slowly been wasted the last few years in Minnesota, but um, it'd be he'd be an a good in interleague option um, for a for Matias Almeida to try and strengthen the team. Um, and I think that would be well worth. Um, Almeida's while if he kind of started sniffing around he and Jesse started sniffing around those kind of waters um, on to the next question though so we don't spend our entire uh, hour here on Miguel Ibarra of course who do you think leaves at the end of the season I think so last year we tried to do a pod where we had a segment and we went through and we recorded a whole bunch of those con we were, we were discussing who's who's out of contract and who isn't out of contract the next year um 
we I I think this is that is definitely a segment that we will um, pick up here, and we I don't think. We can save this for the end of the year, I think. Yeah, I think. I This is a question we do want to answer, and we can analyze, but maybe not right now. Uh, this is a good one maybe for like an end of the year pod, um, or maybe we'll not. It, so, we'll throw it in the vault. We'll throw it in the vault. It'll definitely happen. Um, thanks for that submission. The next one, uh, is there any interest from European clubs to pick up our guys as load players during the off season? I'm just going to give my quick answer on that. Cause this is what nobody is interested in doing that. There's no, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, that's uh, you know, most of these guys in MLS, uh, you see a lot of European players come here um, in the winter. And then if they have been playing for their club at a regular level, they maybe start to fall off after the summer um, as their legs have been worn down. It is a terrible idea, honestly, I think, for players to forfeit their offseason to go play in Europe on a loan for three months. Um, you know, you at some point you're going to break down from playing year-round. Um, it, it just, you've got to get the break mentally and physically. It's got to happen. And I think that if it, it would be smart of literally every single player in this league to not try and go take some winter loan type of a thing, uh, in Europe, I, that, that hasn't honestly happened since David Beckham, uh, and Landon Donovan. And I don't think that's going to be a trend that will ever return to MLS. I mean, it would take a very courageous team and also a very courageous Earthquakes player to spend their offseason, you know, the, the, the one offseason that they have to kind of, you know, restructure themselves to go out to Europe and, and you know, play yourself to the bone. I, I don't know. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Who's, who's going to be scouting, you know, the Earthquakes at this point in time? They're the worst team in the league, one of the worst – teams ever in MLS history and what player within the Quakes locker room doesn't want a mental break I mean it's this has been a very trialing season for every single one uh within that locker room I I just don't see it happening and like you said it's you know it's, it's this old paradigm right it's it's this archaic thing that you do, doesn't really happen anymore I think the last player that I remember hearing about going out on a loan during the off season was um gosh how top of my head but he went out to he went out to the championship um portland timber center back uh captain oh, is, it, is it liam ridgewell yeah liam ridgewell yeah 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 he went out to but that was a while ago too he went out to brian hold albion a couple seasons ago yeah. this was like three seasons ago was so it, yeah i think it was after they won mls cup so that would be like yeah that would be three years ago that's yeah yeah it just yeah. doesn't happen and and it was only well i think that was the year he came to mls anyway so he had been playing in europe went back came back i mean and then you saw where he's gone since then he's gone you know it's you saw how quickly landon um took took a dive uh, took a nose dive in form and, and ability uh, and you know Clint Dempsey played longer than Landon did age-wise, um, but Landon ran himself into the ground by doing those off seasons. I, I just don't see it being a feasible thing for any earthquake. You reserve those type of moves for a guy like Slotten, <laughs> for someone who is going to uh, who's going to make a major move. If he's going to make a move during the off season, he's going to go somewhere relevant, and he's also made of steel, so it doesn't really matter. 
All right. Next one with this is a good, really good question. I really like this one actually. With the Quakes jersey and stadium sponsorship up this year, thank God. Does this hiring signal the Quakes pushing for higher levels of recognition that may translate to who will pay to have their names associated associated with the club for the next few years? I think one hundred percent. I don't think the Earthquakes made this move in with that in mind, but it's going to result in that. I think. I think you. I think it was probably in the whole, uh, I guess, 180 in this new direction. I think it probably fueled Tom Fox somewhere. It, it, it clicked somewhere in his head. It, clicked, it flipped the switch somewhere in his brain, I'm sure. Tom Fox, he said it, he said it very bluntly time and time again. He's not a soccer guy. He is mm-hmm. not a sports guy. But he is a businessman. And I think he might have used it as leverage to the ownership, to the board. Hey, this is a crucial period for the for this franchise on a business side and obviously also on a results basis. You know, we're catastrophic on the field. Our financial, you know, our, our revenues are depleting. We have a contract running up this season. We have the ability. We are in the market. I'm connected with, I'm sure, hundreds and hundreds of, of business people. We, we can make something out of this. We can we can do something greater than reaching out for Matias Almeida and a couple of players. We can bring back, we can generate some serious, serious income, uh, some serious, you know, uh, relevancy to us on all the sectors that we play a part in. I, I, I think I think a factor in in the uh, decision to make to make this this uh, step in the new direction. I guess. All right. So I mean, I'm looking at this real quick. Just wanted to pull it up. So the South Bay uh, Avaya Stadium when it opens up, sent so twenty million dollars over ten years was the deal. So $2 million a year for 10 years was that deal with Avaya. I don't know if it was restructured um, uh, because, I yeah, I don't know if it was restructured just because um, Well, the, Avaya, the Avaya, Avaya bankruptcy, right? Yeah, Seems- and that's why I was checking... You know, yeah, a whole lot hasn't been said. I I recall the last article I read about Avaya's financial situations and their ongoing relationship with the Quakes was something that Elliot Allman from the Mercury News wrote about a year or two ago. Yeah, it's a year ago. I'm pulling it up. And Um, ever since, nothing has been mentioned about, you know, Avaya and their deal with the earthquakes, but... You know, I think Sutter Health, Sutter Health's uh, sponsorship deal with the Earthquakes is also the one ending this year. Okay, yeah, so the team has agreed to the proposed, so they, so the contract is over after this year, and that was part of the bankruptcy deal with Avaya, um, that they have, and they have begun, um, they have begun looking for a naming solutions deal um for 2019 and that this was this was in let me see i'm this you're right it was an elliot almond article uh 
December 2nd, um, 2017. Uh, so a couple years ago. Um, but yeah, I, 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 so yeah, so they, it is 100% up um, after this year. I, I'm okay with the with the idea of Sutter Health. I like the health partnerships and stuff like that that they do. I'd like to see more of their partnership with Sutter Health um, and really kind of blossom that both on and off field relationship with them, like Sporting Kansas City have done with like Children's Mercy. Uh, granted, Children's Mercy is a part owner for Sporting Kansas City, so it makes sense. However, the uh, the involvement in the off field projects that both Children's Mercy have and the combination of projects that sporting and children's mercy have come up together um it'd be nice to see you know san jose the earthquakes and sutter health maybe renew it and then really work on some on and off the field partnerships um that kind of bring awareness to both the quakes and um sutter health and can deal with that i Sutter Health is a fine brand, um, but the, the stadium itself, I mean, Avaya was a total flop. Um, it was a very Dave Cavill move to go find and get a deal with um, some, quote, up-and-coming tech company, and they bomb out, and that it's not surprising to me that that ended up happening. Um, I, I mean, Hopefully, Almeida helps boost the profile, um, and we see something around uh, around the, um, you know, the new... The, the, you see, you hope it boosts the, the commercial profile of the team. Um, although I think if you're going to look for big local sponsors, um, you're going to that team's going to have to really start winning to um, really boost that profile locally. But you might be able to find something a little bit international or something like that that would be willing to come in and make a sponsorship. That's just my opinion. Well, we'll see what happens. I guess uh, this is all subject to change mm-hmm. and. It's, I mean, there are many, many enterprises within 20, 30 miles of Avaya Stadium. Um, I'm sure something to fruition, whether it be, you know, like you said, international, domestic. We'll see. We'll have to wait and see. But it, I'm sure it's going to be much better than, what'd you say, 10 years, 20 million? Yeah. I'm sure they're going to be speaking for me. Given that you know the team is obviously willing to make bigger financial investments on the field, I had to stop the recording so I could edit that out. All right. So next one, uh, I made this contract has an exit clause that should he receive a more attractive offer, um, he would be allowed to leave for it. Um, is there a risk there at all for the earthquakes? Um, from what I heard on an interview, I believe, I can't recall, I think it was Univision Deportes, uh, they were interviewing Matias Almeida, and they asked him something regarding the clause, right? So the clause, I think on the conversation with Tom Marshall, I stated that the clause has only two national teams, but I believe it's whatever national team comes his way uh, whether that's a European side or you know or, or a South American country Central American um, if it's to his liking he'll move on and there's also obviously a you know a, a clause there uh, for that um, 
But in that interview, Matias Almeida said that that's the way he likes to work. That's always what he asked for in in every single um, in every single contract he signs as as a manager, and I'm sure obviously as a player too. So that's just the way he works. Um, I don't think it's really that big of a risk, you know, to sign someone of that pedigree. You have to take on these small nuances, you know. You have to take on these small question marks. You know, this this is a guy who um, is a man of his word. He's been a man of his word before. Uh, he's a very, you know, sincere, humble, down-to-earth guy who I don't think would, you know, make a make make this big fuzz of, of you know, obviously departing Chivas and, and turning down, you know, a lucrative multi-million deal, multi-million dollar deal in, in Dubai you know, to come to San Jose and just announce himself, bring relevancy to San Jose, to the team and to him, to his name and, and some sort of leverage and then just move on a couple of months down the road. I think he's, he's here for the, I think he's here for at least the season, at least minimum, if not two, I think two seems to be, um, you know, the, the, I think that's what I, I predict he'll he'll last maybe two seasons or so, depending on how it goes. Obviously, don't want to really jump the gun there, but um, you know, it is a risk if you want to look at it in a very, uh, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for here, in a very nervous way, you know, in, in a very uh, self conscious way. But, I mean, that's just the way the guy works, you know. That's the way that he works. And, you know, he's made it clear. The, the reason why he came to San Jose is because he felt respected. He felt like he was given a concrete, um, clear project. And, you know, that's how he works. And, and that's how he was successful with River Plate. They had an objective they had you know particular steps that they wanted to take in order to reach that objective they accomplished it obviously they had good financial backing with Vanfield I'm not entirely sure what, how the situation was there but I'm sure he had backing from the ownership group and there was a clear plan as well he got them promoted with Chivas in the beginning uh, Vergara, the owner, was was willing to uh, double down with this new project of bringing on Almeida and, and to bring him back to glory. He was giving all the he was given all the amenities. He was given all the players that he wanted. Uh, he had um, autonomy over not only the first team but you know the academy and the transfers and um, I guess all the logistical side of the team he, he, he had his hands in pretty much everything he was successful when those things started running out is when you know the downfall started in San Jose he's going to ask for the same and you know to be honest with you no one else no one else could have opened up uh, Jesse Fiorinelli from handing over some of his power Jesse Fiorinelli outweighed everyone that he hired Mikel Starry didn't. You could have added Mikel Starry, Dom Kinnears. I mean, Dom Kinnears is a is a 
is a different argument, I guess. You know, he wasn't hired by Jesse Carinelli. But, you know, you add Mikel Starr's resume, uh, Ralston's, Chris Leach, all those three guys, you add all those resumes together and they don't, they're not even at, at the height of, of Jesse Fiorinelli, right? No one in the front office has the power, has the, um, the weight that Jesse Fiorinelli uh, carries, right? Given, you know, his prior experience with Lazio and Roma. Uh, so it was going to take a player, or sorry, it was going to take a figure of Almeida's size, of Almeida's weight uh, to have, you know, Jesse Fiorinelli be in, in, in good terms of giving up some of his power and you know also in order to bring him in uh Jesse Fiorinelli knew he had to to open up to um you know some certain some certain uh I guess question marks like I said some some certain doubt there's always doubt in hiring him but uh it's just things that are going to come when when you gain uh when you gain some some traction with you know global figures i guess all right present contracts will prevent almeida from building his own team within the first year how much room for roster revision do you anticipate he'll have in this offseason who on the present roster posed the biggest burden and obstacle to reinvention and success um i don't i i don't know if there's anyone in this in on this roster right now that i would pose as being a burden or an obstacle um, at all, uh, most of the contracts that they have for the players who are issues are pretty movable. Um, so I, I, I don't see any of the big money deals that they have um, wrapped up being issues or obstacles or burdens at the moment. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, so I, I don't think. I mean, there's going to be some room for revision and stuff like that, but. You know, depending on how many players they have that are technically on options for their contract, which we will learn towards the end of the season um, as uh, as teams are required to submit player like their roster decisions. Um, I believe it's one or two weeks after the regular season is over once the um, for teams who are eliminated or it's it's one week after your team is eliminated, if I'm correct. Um, that you are required to put in your roster decisions for the next season um, so that the people who you are declining contracts for um, and those who you are not um, or, or, or those who you are keeping and stuff like that. So um, we'll, we'll see more then on that, on whose contracts will be sticking around. Um, however, you know, I, you know, MLS, there's ways to move players and get people off the books. Um, there's ways to work deals to where you kind of slip a player there and get a, get rid of them if you're, you know, trying to trying to get a draft slot or something like that. Who knows? Um, there's plenty of ways though where they can re kind of re re jigger things within the contracts and the, the the books that they'll be able to make some type of revisions. Um, I think having I no offense to Sare, but having someone who can really implement a style and a mentality right right off the bat and is going to be a gravitational figure um, within the locker room as, as Almeida will be um, I, I, I think that will be enough um, of a change that 
you'll you'll see some parts of the roster that were underperforming that will start to perform at the level that they should have been or better under Almeida. I don't think he will be a end all be all band aid over everything. Uh, they still need to get some more quality around there, but I don't think it's the I don't think the situation roster wise may be as dire as some think it is, um, and I don't think it's that great. Uh, and I'm still saying that. So um, I. I where are you I, at on this? I, I coincide with you, to be honest. I I mean, look, I follow the team, you know, week in and week out. And I think all of the – even the, some of the fans, some, some of the fans' outlook on, you know, the roster situation is a bit hyperbolized in my opinion. Yes, there are some deficiencies within the roster buildup. You don't have a left back. Uh, you struggle at center back. You struggle. Well, you were struggling. They, they were struggling for a long time between the sticks. Um, you know, you have a lot of players like you know Hika and Vako, and uh, th- that are essentially you know cut from the same cloth, or they interfere. You know, in when you try to you know mesh them all together, there's some some interference there in terms of tactics. But, you know, there will be, like at any other point in, in any offseason, there, there's, there's going to be reinvention. There, there's always reinvention, right? So, so the annual uh, offload will be a sign, of, the first sign of relief, right? And then in addition to that, you know, obviously Jesse Fiorinelli and the ownership group, are going to take action to try and get rid of some of the players who they believe uh, were, quote-unquote, the burdens uh, during this season. I think with that, in and of itself, I think think that's enough. Um, And obviously with the additions, which I'm sure are going to be really lucrative signings, some are going to be lucrative signings, at least one. The earthquake should be with Matias Almeida in good shape to compete for a playoff position next year. I have no doubt in my mind, and I, I'll stick with it. Uh, I will stick with it from, from here on now. I, I think, you know, everything that's being said about, you know, the roster and and, and the personnel and all that, there's a big solution already. Matias Almeida isn't coming alone. He's coming with his entire coaching staff. And as Hercules, uh, Hercules Gomez, uh, you know, reported, I guess, on his podcast uh, regarding the Almeida arrival, he's going to be bringing in Benjamin Galindo as well, which if it's true and if it does happen, um, that that obviously has to go through Jesse Fiorinelli first. If it does happen, there's going to be another shift within the front office and the coaching staff as well. They just brought in uh, Yuri, that the, the goalkeeping coach. I don't see how he holds on to his job. Uh, you know, there was a lot of praise for the guy, but I, I, I almost want to argue that under him, you know, the, the, the coaching or sorry, the goalkeeping performances were even worse. Yep. Um, no, I, I, I 100% agree with you on that. There's no way that Yuri Nemian has been doing a good job. Um, Tarbell has regressed, uh, and that's something you don't want to see. Um, and that, 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 may, that 
not all of it's on coaching, but a good portion of it is on coaching. And Tarbell, Tarbell has looked terrible this year. Um, you know, I and then he, you, he saw, we saw what the limitations were with him last season, and we never saw, we have not seen one step forward in the right direction with those with those issues known for Tarbell. And so now as and we go in this whole season Bersana as well, Bersana didn't make a single appearance, yeah. official appearance. Yeah. At all. No. And the only, here's the thing. The only Tarbell looked great when he was in Reno because he was probably getting some good level of coaching. Marcinkowski looked really good in Reno. He's looked fine in San Jose. Um, I, you know, barring, I, I don't think the goal, there's nothing he could have done about almost any of the goals that were scored in the Atlanta game. And the LAFC game, right, he started that one as well. And I don't think there was much going on there. So um, I, I don't fault him for a whole lot in that one. So, look, Marcinkowski, definitely the goalkeeper of the future. We'll see more of that. But Nemean hasn't done a good job at all. And, and Go ahead. And I, I, I just, like, to me, you look at that, like, I don't see that, that coaching staff turnover that is going to take place is going to be a good thing. Um, because hopefully... Clean the house. I'm sure they're going to clean the house. They have they to. Should. You have to move on. It's time to move on from the Doyle era. And mm-hmm. I also think it might be the end of Chris Leach as well. I, if you're bringing in Benjamin Galindo as a technical director, mm-hmm. which is what Matias Almeida has always wanted... Which is a reason why, you know, Benjamin Galindo has some sort of stake in his academy. He overlooks the academy in Houston. I, I just, I mean, unless you demote Chris Leach to an academy-specific position, which I'm sure he would be great at, the front office, the coaching staff, everyone else from the Doyle era, this is when it makes sense yeah. to, to let it go. Does he does Leach go back to the academy director since that's a position that is currently open? Well, that's what I was saying. I, he could get demoted to that, and I think he would he would do great. With one exception, with one mm-hmm. exception, uh, he's going to have a limited role because yeah. Almeida is going to want a stake in that as well, mm-hmm. and just like he did at Chivas. You know? But he should because here's the thing: because right. the academy's job is to it's supposed to feed the first team right that's what it's supposed to do so he should because he should know what he wants so i'm i'm 100 okay with that and he's he he made it clear he made it clear uh you know during the press conference he wants to develop he wants to develop the youth in 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 within the san jose earthquakes academy mm-hmm. and uh that was something that i was actually going to write about but look um i don't i don't know if i made this i i think i said it on periscope but I've had sources within the club tell me, we've reached out. We've reached out to Jonathan Gonzalez's brother twice. We've mm-hmm. made visits to Santa Rosa. We've talked to him. We've told him, hey, come to San Jose. Yeah. You're, you live two hours away. You can be close to your family. You can you know, play under these lights at Avaya Stadium. You can have your friends in the stands, your family in the stands. The kid doesn't want you, though. He wants to go to Mexico. Right, he wants to follow his brother's footsteps, but why would a player? Why would a why would a Mexican American or a Latino player, uh, you know, who probably grew up watching Liga MX? Why would he want to go to Liga MX? Because you want to play under a coach like Matias Almeida, because you want to play under a coach like Caixinha, because you want to play for a Monterrey under Turco Mohamed when he was mm-hmm. there. 
You know, this, this is uh, Miguel Herrera. That, that's what you dream of as a kid. And having such a figure now in San Jose, you know, imagine being a 15-year-old kid and being on the brink of leaving to Mexico to go try your luck. Nothing assured, by the way. And next thing you know, you have Matias Almeida and his coaching staff at your door. You know, that changes everything. You know, that changes everything. That changes the, the, the perspective. That changes, you know, the, the, the local ideology of what they think of San Jose. And that's why I, I think uh, that, that, that's probably been one of the most underlooked, uh, underlooked uh, I guess, benefits. Or hopefully it will be a benefit of the Almeida's uh, the Almeida hire, but I mean that that's the type of of effect he's going to have. Hopefully, you want to think that, and I, I think they'll take advantage of that for sure. All right, last question here we go. This is an interesting one. It says it appears that communication may be an issue and potential source of frustration. Short term, a bilingual assistant could help. Long term, is this a stumbling block? Referring to the fact that Almeida does not speak fluent English at the moment. Um, is it him becoming proficient in English? Is it recruiting the players in Spanish? Or, you know, what what is this this thing um, here to deal with? And I'm going to say that it's not as big of a deal as you would think. 100%. Because Tata Martino is virtually exclusive Spanish-speaking. Um, and that is... He, he runs his team completely that way. That team still, while, while it has a lot of international people on it, there's a lot of people who don't speak Spanish on that roster there. Um, and they you see you watch a 16-year-old George, George Bello just walk in at the left-back position, score, and look fantastic in his first couple of games. And I know we want to pump the brakes quote. But, the, I mean, Darlington Nagby looks great. Julian Gressel, great. Brad Guzon. I mean, it, it, I mean, during the week maybe like 20 50 words a week <laughs> yeah i mean like there's there's so much uh, it, if his assistant coaches can speak english you know they're ones who are working on a defenders meeting and all those kinds of stuff throughout the week i mean does it really matter and i, I don't think it does and i don't Patrick, think it's it's look, an issue at all look one of the things that matias almeida is known for is transmitting passion to his players transmitting belief into his players all this stuff is universal, man. You don't need to have, you know, uh, a, a 5, 10, 15, 20-minute sit-down with the player going over, you know, all of his defects and all of his plus sides in an articulate form in, in a, you know, let me try and bust out this dialect for you or let me talk slang with you so, you know, we feel more connected. No, you know, like... If you if you feel the passion, if you know soccer, and obviously they have the, the Quakes front office has bright individuals, you know, uh, I won't name names, but bilingual individuals as well who are going to accommodate Matias Almeida and the players. You know, this is this is going to work out. That's that you know to me, that's just like something that us Americans. Uh, I guess inflate that 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 discussion, right? The the whole language barrier, you know. Uh, when you want to communicate with someone, you'll make it happen. You'll find a way, uh, you know. And that 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 goes that happens with with people who have like zero resources. You know, there's there's going to be smartphones within that locker room. There's going to be, I mean, 
professional translators, you know, and, and, and Matias Almeida has made it clear, you know, that's another reason why he wanted to come to San Jose. It's a new culture. It's a new experience for him and his family, for, for his three daughters and his wife. And he wants to learn English. You know, he wants to learn a new language. He learned Italian at his, uh, during his time in Italy, you know. This guy, is a, is, he's a very bright individual as well. And he started a month ago already. So he has a head start. If anything, the players and the front office, they need to start learning Spanish too. It's a joint uh, – it, it's going to be a, a, a joint um, experience. You know, they're going to have to work together obviously, but it's it's not a big deal at all. It's, it's going to work out just fine. And, of course, obviously with the signing of Almeida, uh, I'm sure the signing of Latin players is, is going to follow. Uh, but that won't be a problem either, man. You know, there's, there's, there's players within that locker room right now who don't really know how to speak Spanish or who came in, sorry, who came in not knowing how to speak English or still don't speak any English. But, you know, living in America, as you and I know, um, you know, Spanish is, or I mean, sorry, English is the number one language, and if you don't know it, you're going to attempt to uh, to learn it. And if you don't know Spanish and you're around the Spanish-speaking community, you're going to attempt to try and speak Spanish, right? So um, it's it's not a problem. I, I don't think it will be a problem. No. And if, if from for those of us who have been around locker rooms and stuff like that, I mean, we the, San, the Sporting Kansas City locker room, there are plenty of guys who speak. I mean, Felipe Gutierrez um speaks very very broken and very little english and yet that guy has some of the best camaraderie and passing ability and understanding with with players on the field there and, and it's the almost the entire attacking trio um i think there's diego rubio is the only one on that team his chilean teammate is the only one on that team who speaks spanish that is in that front or is fluent in spanish that is in that front um, rotation there. Jerzo Fernandez speaks Portuguese and English. Um, good English for himself. But, I mean, Felipe Gutierrez barely speaks any English. Uh, Johan Crase doesn't speak a whole lot of English. It's, it's broken French English. I mean, it's decent, and you can you can carry out an interview and a conversation and stuff like that, but it's not like it's not like talking to Graham Zussi or Matt Beasler with that type of understanding, that conversation. Those guys, I mean, Matt Beasler played an entire, played probably, I think he played 180 minutes with Emiliano Amor this season, who spoke exclusively Spanish, and they're, I think they, under, that together that combo was perfectly fine on the back line no problems whatsoever uh so it soccer is universal language there is an understanding um if the message can be hammered home of any way uh of how they want the player to play i mean these guys aren't like u9 kids running around where you have to explain to them how to go attack space and how to go do things these guys know what this is they're professionals so it is a universal language of getting it and they will be able to get everyone on the same page that is going to do it for us for this show. Thanks a whole lot for listening. Big thanks again to Tom Marshall for doing the interview with us, or Joel. Um, you know, I thanks for the Twitter questions. Uh, I, it's been an exciting week for Earthquakes fans. Um, exciting week one as well. Uh, my last words here, just, you know, big shout out to the hashtag Save the Crew movement who have officially saved the crew. Uh, it seems like I, I remember when the Earthquakes moved. Um, I've told that story on here a while. 
or plenty of times, I, you know, that, that was a heartbreaking moment for me. Um, incredibly disappointing. Um, the rebirth, uh, as unfruitful as it has been compared to the initial group in terms of championships and trophies. Um, you know, the, just having earthquake soccer back was huge for me as well. Um, so I'm, I am so happy that the people of Columbus do not have to experience what I did of watching my team get moved to a completely random place that doesn't entirely support them. Um, and then, you know, and then they go win trophies in front of those people. Uh, it's, it's frustrating. Um, and I'm glad that the Columbus crew fans don't have to do that. That'll be it for me. Um, thank again. Thanks for listening. And I'll turn it over to Joel to close this out. Yeah. Nothing but winning for MLS's old guard. Obviously the, big news for Columbus I'm obviously really happy for you know for the fans more than anything and also for, for the players who I'm sure had uh, you know a lot of sympathy for, for their community but uh, big thanks obviously to Tom Marshall for joining uh, the 2474 show uh, thank you to all the fans who have been sticking with us over at Quakes Epicenter for listening to this podcast, for supporting us on Patreon. It, honestly, guys, like it, it really, really, really does mean a lot. Um, you know, it, I've, we've, we've been, I, I'll speak for Quakes Epicenter as a whole, we've been overwhelmed with all the support, all the shout outs from ESPN on ESPN Deportes. I would have never imagined. Uh, not even my wildest dreams that we would hear, you know, Quakes Epicenter on there. Uh, shout out to Andrew Weeby and the whole Extra Time crew, Extra Time Radio. Got a shout out from them. I've been listening to them for, for quite some time. Big fans of them, actually. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys for all the support. Daniel, as always, dude, thank you so much for taking time out of your day all the way out in uh, KC. Uh, you know, this, this was a special podcast because it's the start of the new era in San Jose, uh, an inclusive era, which I think is is the best uh, feature, I guess, the, the best, you know, part of, of the new era, hopefully. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're obviously all excited for the 2019 season to start already, as Matias is as well. And we're going to have to get you out here, Daniel, sometime. Yes, to cover again. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys. Until next.